From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 32. My name is Brando Scotto, comma, Ian today. He is seeing Head P.E. and a bunch of other bands I really don't care about. No offense. Uh, so instead, we have one of our... Bad apples. So we go from a juggalo, an Ian, to a journalist, an Artivana. What's going on, buddy? Hey, what's up? So wait, Ian's a juggalo? He's a, he denies it. He's never got, uh, he's never worn the makeup, but he's obsessed with ICP. He's talked about them a lot on, on the podcast. So I think he saw Twisted the other day. Il Nino Dope and Head P.E. today, so that's why he can't record. I went to gathering of the Juggalos last year, right as, like, literally in the midst of Donald Trump being elected as president in fucking, where was I? Somewhere in the middle of Ohio on some farm. It was, like, easily one of the greatest experiences of my life. I'm not a Juggalo. I don't, I know nothing about the ICP. I don't listen to their music, don't care about their their inner circle or their, or their universe at all. But, man, it was fucking insane. It was, like, pro looking blood. People sucking fucking oxygen out of balloons and shit or nuts <laughs> or whatever. People thought it was just like this most insane. These people are so obsessed. It was an insane anybody, clown posse. Ra- yeah, anybody who can rally that fan base behind them to do anything can conquer the world. I guess, I guess so. I mean, uh, I mean, guess Axel missed the boat. He needs to just don some uh, clown makeup, and I guess they, he could be more successful. I guess. Uh, oh my God. That idea. Yeah, let's uh, let's pretend I never said that. Uh, but I want to thank uh, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, first, Walker Alford. He was on our last episode, and if you don't know the name, you should at least to listen to the episode. So far, it's one of our best listened to episodes. Uh, I woke up the following day to messages. Literally all across the country and the world, like Croatia and Australia, the UK, Portugal. I mean, people just saying, like, wow, this is just some awesome information that he gave. And I was talking to you a little bit before, um, Art, that you only listened to the beginning of it, right? Because I know you're super right. busy, so I don't, I don't blame you. I don't, I don't take it too personally. Uh, but I would love to get your opinion when you do listen to it, because this is a guy, I don't want to say kid, because he's 23, to find out the information that he may or may not have, the audio that he may or may not have, unreleased material, um, talking about the real reasons of the departures of Buckethead and uh, DJ Ashba and Brain. Excuse me, I have a hairball. Uh, so some of it may be biased. It depends. I know Anna from Portugal, one of our uh, favorites over here, she messaged us loving the episode, wanting to contact Walker personally, which she opens – he opens that. He's like, hey, if you want some more information, if you don't believe me, contact me. So uh, everybody who listened to the last episode, thank you, and especially Walker for coming on. So I guess we wanted to well, get that out that's of the way. awesome. Well, what was something that he said to you that blew your mind about Chinese democracy that we can talk about? Well, the thing— that I could be blown away by? Sure. Uh, well, the Chinese democracy, what you may know is that he tried to release it you know, several times, and the label kept fucking him over specifically because they wanted— 
uh, Slash in the band. So they would create strife between him and Buckethead and and just he would find out the truth after. But this is I'm I'm very curious, though, about your opinion on this, because uh, you're a journalist and you do research and all this fun stuff. Axel apparently has files on every single ex-member of the band. So he would break down uh, albums like Slash's Snake Pit or the Juju Hounds album and go track by track as to what he liked and what he didn't like. And usually uh, the end result be, would be why he couldn't reunite with them. So apparently, according to Walker, Axl Rose has crazy files on every ex-member of the band. Your thoughts, Art Devana? I mean, uh, I had coffee once with a guy who's uh, you know, grew up with Slash and was really close with Axel for a period of time. And, you know, he's no longer in the inner circle. I won't say his name because he's just a weirdo now. He's paranoid. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. And he's basically losing his fucking mind. So, right. Perfect. so I won't say anything. But when he was still in the in the real world, I would say, about five <laughs> years ago, I had coffee with him. And he talked to me about GNR. And it was like when I first started really writing about GNR about five years ago. And he told me something similar to that. But what he said was that Axel... This, the thing for me was, what is the reason that this feud... And we all know the rumors. We've all heard a million different reasons why Axel and Slash didn't speak for about 20, what, 22 years or whatever. Um, we've heard all the various you know, rumors. And I just know this guy was really close friends with Slash. At that point, when I spoke to him, he was still friends with Slash and Axel. Um, not Axel anymore, but Slash. And you know, I asked what the deal was, and he said, well, Axel just doesn't, you know, doesn't forgive people very easily. And he has you know, documents or pieces of you know, a notebook or a journal or something where it keeps a list of the reasons why each person is not on his, you know, not on his friend list, basically. And so it was like, it's just something along the lines. I don't want to get too chew into it. It's something I really do want to say for the book. But yeah, sure. I believe it. I mean, I believe huh. it to some extent. I also think, though, like, you know, here's the thing, though. Like, it's like all these fucking rumors, all these things about Axel's fucking, you know, religious practices, the weird journals he keeps or the, you know, him, what he did or why he did it and how he did it. It's all just shit that came from former personal assistants and managers and hairdressers and basically people who, you know, were in his inner circle, kicked out of his inner circle and then went and told these stories to other people. And then those people told other people and they got regurgitated and recycled with these weird sure. sort of half truths. Mm -hmm. So I don't really believe any of it, to be honest with you. My book is really going to try to not be that book. Because who gives a shit? Like, you're right. Why? You know, it's like, yeah, Axel's like sort of paranoid behavior and stuff. It's like, until Axel Rose can talk about it, it's really fucking hard for me to even go there because it's like, as a journalist, how do you know what he was thinking? We don't. You're right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, absolutely right. And he could be lying to you anyway. So I would suggest reaching out to, uh, to Walker because his uh, so called. Like agenda, because that's why we had him on, because he could be, I don't want to be a hub for someone to spout lies themselves, you know, so that I spoke to sure. him on the phone uh, beforehand, you know, to, to do my little good cop, bad cop thing, I guess, and he, he was a nice enough guy, and he was great on the episode, uh, but his agenda was to show what Axel was all about, to dispel these rumors. You know, and I guess a lot of the online forums thinks he he has a lot of hate for for Slash, and he's like, no, I like Slash, but he did things that upset Axel, and he's like, I really think it was just a matter of them getting into a room, and he's like, Slash apologizing, Slash maturing, and that's what kind of blew my mind as well, because 
like you said, after all these years, Axel had to apologize. Axel was the one that was supposed to mature. But according to him, it seemed to be more uh, guilt or blame, I guess, uh, on Slash's part. But people, you know, grow well, up, I guess. Well, I mean, I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, I have, I have, I know about, you know, I mean, I know about, I know Axel's POV on this. I won't say how, but I do know it, and I don't really want to talk about it because honestly, you like, shower with him. It's the, okay. The, no, but like, it's like these are the things that like are unnecessary. You know, it's the gossip, sort of Us Weekly, People Magazine, TMZ shit. Mm -hmm. It's so boring. It's so stupid. What's interesting to me is the songs, how they wrote the songs, the characters, the drugs, the sex, the rock and roll, the sort of, and you know, the, the hate, the, the sort of paranoid behavior and the weird shit that happened on the Use Your Illusion tour. Yeah, that's fascinating. But it was part of the music, it was part of the tour. Mm -hmm. I don't know, to me, it's like, oh, who forgave who? And who's sorry first? And, <laughs> you know, who made the first phone call or... Or, you know, whose girlfriend was responsible for getting a band together? Right, or right. All this shit is just, this is the stuff where it gets into, like, weird sort of, um, you know, blogger territory. And it's just, like, it's fine. It's interesting. I don't really care. Like, I'm not playing this stuff to, like, hate to GNR or management. I don't really care. They don't, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't even talk to any journalists, period. So no, you're like, being honest. This is all, how you are. Every journalist in the country is on their, you know, persona non grata list anyway. So it's not that. Right. I'm just literally saying it's not interesting to me. It's like. It's taking rock and roll journalism to this weird um, internet culture thing where it's like we're drinking tea and talking about fucking how Axl Rose, you know, feels about Slash personally and are, are they besties still and are they still <laughs> talking about fucking, you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like Stephen Adler. I interviewed Stephen Adler. God bless his heart. Love the guy. But he told me about the story about how Axel reached out to him and he went to Vegas and this is how they got back together, him and Adler. And he went to Vegas, and it was like 2000, and I think it was right after the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like a few years after that, like five or six years. And they sat down in a hotel, and the sun was setting, and they talked about being friends and all those years and how they go back and the music and the, and the Sunset Strip and all this shit. And it's like, that's beautiful to me. That's cool. That's like a, an interesting rock and roll. To me, it's like a movie. If I close my eyes and I watch a movie, what would I want that movie to be like? That, to me, is the story that needs to be told, not, oh, my God, like, who was the first one to call the first? You know, it's like, <laughs> this is fucking, it's like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry at the Rock and Roll Band. No, I don't know. Uh, Sorry. Uh, you know, watching you, you know, we were talking last night, you know, talking about the, the episode today, and I'm following your Twitter timeline. And you uh, are a stronger man than me. I like to have my, my battles, you know, on a podcast and radio. Uh, but you, you have yours, uh, not only on Twitter, but with Katy Perry fans. And I just don't know how you have the patience to do it. And it's, if you want, if you want to laugh, you know, if you're not following Art now, just the timeline with him, to, you were saying what Taylor Swift was, was better than Katy. And you're talking about Grammys. And I'm just like, I'm sitting well, back watching. I'm like, this is just hilarious. Well, Brando, when you're on Adderall all day, no, I'm just <laughs> Um, no, I mean, like, look, dude, I'm, when I'm not on a deadline, when I'm not working on a story, and I'm not right now, I'm kind of on a weird limbo period between, between stories. Sure. I just wrote something about, I just wrote something pretty interesting. I, I worked in Hollywood for five years, um, literally like the casting couch, saw it all, wrote a story about that recently. So that, that, and then when I finished that, I got bored and I got bored. I had nothing to do. And I was talking to a girlfriend of mine who's an obsessed Taylor Swift fan. And, you know, we're just talking about how everyone thinks every Taylor Swift fan is like, um, a Republican or they're a white supremacist or something. It's weird things. What? Weird internet. 
yeah, there's this weird internet culture that I don't know. I mean, you don't you wouldn't know about unless you were really deep. I'm not as in deep the as, yeah. sort of Taylor Swift universe. That this uh, there's assumption can't say that I am. Katy Perry fans that all Taylor Swift fans are like white supremacists, Nazi, Republican, conservative people, or something. So How can, I saw yeah, that. Bad. Yeah, I saw that, and then I, you know, and then I realized, you know, Katy Perry sucks. Like, <laughs> there's nothing appealing about Katy Perry. Her new album sucked. It was panned by every music critic. It, it, it was, it, you know, this whole it debuted at number one nonsense. That means nothing. Just bullshit. That doesn't and then mean it dropped off. But then it dropped faster than any other any other album in history. And then she hosted the worst the worst rated VMAs in history. And did not watch sucked. a second of it. Yeah, she and it, you know. She sucks. So I made a little joke about how she won no Grammys and Taylor Swift won ten, and I just thought it was nothing—a benign little joke. And I'm like, yeah, Taylor Swift can't—you know—Taylor Swift wins Grammys and Taylor and Katy Perry doesn't win Grammys. And then every fuck, it was like thousands and thousands of these Katy cats. And by the way, that's what they're called. They're called Katy cats. <laughs> hey, she has her Katy cats, and we we have our. So I guess everyone has their own, but yeah, still. Yeah, <laughs> let's stop talking about this shit. Fuck this. Let's talk about Guns N' Roses, man. Stupid. Uh, why, are we even, why are we doing well, this? Well, I mean, I, I, I have a good segue uh, to it. Because I would see some... Actually, this is a great segue to what I, I want to get you on. Because I know you have to leave in a little bit. And we'll get to that as well. Uh, when I was at the show when Pink came out uh, at the Garden with, with Axel and Guns N' Roses. And it was great. And, and before uh, Gaga really hit the scene, the only person I really uh, music I really enjoyed as far as the pop scene was Pink. I mean, she, I felt she she was rock enough. I liked her music. And it, it it worked well for me. So when right. I see sites like Blabbermouth or Ultimate Classic Rock put things out, and it's no fault in them, it's the comments section. But just what's with this pop shit crossover? First Metallica with Gaga, now Guns N' Roses with Pink. You know what? Well, what's right. next? Uh, you know, Avenged Sevenfold with One Direction or something like that. So I, I don't. Right. There's the segue because if Taylor Swift came out or if uh, you know Katy Perry came out because Katy Perry can sing and Taylor Swift, I feel like I read her lyrics in a crayon. So that would actually would bother. One of those would have bothered me as opposed to Pink. Uh, but right. along all of those, my long-winded reasons that I always get to, uh, I want to start a new segment here called Get in the Ring, which is pretty, you know, standard. Get in the ring, motherfucker, and I'll kick your bitch in the ass, Get in the ring. <laughs> of course, that's our lovely uh, voiceover friend Brittany doing that. Because, Art, you deal with a lot of online trolls and a lot of people who just... Like, you know, calling you a white supremacist and, and, you know, if you like Taylor Swift, you're a white supremacist, all this bullshit. So I got this, yeah. uh, there was this comment on iTunes uh, from DM underscore the kid. Uh, and it says, uh, by the because the only reason I, I looked at the, because I look at the reviews, I read everything. And I just noticed we we're all five stars in iTunes. And then I see four and a half, four and a half. How does that happen? So I see this one, one star review. A show I used to love now is just sound clips and the hosts talking over guests. Well, you can go fuck yourself. Fuck you! Suck my fucking dick! I like my sound bites. If the Guns N' Roses related, they are fine. I get tons of comments from people thinking that they're funny. And to leave us a one-star review, if you want to leave that comment, I don't give a shit about, you know, criticism. But that you're preventing us from getting out there. 
and getting out there to more uh, listeners. If we get listed in the top 150 music podcasts on iTunes, more people see us. We interview more people. We give you better shows. So uh, DM the kid. You can antagonize me, motherfucker. Get in the ring, motherfucker. And I'll kick your bitch in the ass. Get in the ring. Pissed me off. Sorry. I had to do that with you, Art, because I know you deal with a lot of online trolling. Thank you for letting yeah, me vent. Uh, uh, yeah, fuck, <laughs> fuck anybody who criticizes your show. Fuck free speech. Fuck. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it's like whatever. <laughs> who cares? They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna say their thing. They're gonna criticize the show forever. It's the fan base, you know. You can criticize, but don't leave me. Don't leave one star. If you if you say you like the show, and really we're the only Guns N' Roses podcast, you know, out there. Really, right. uh, why don't leave a one star? You know, send leave the criticism, but otherwise you're you're hurting everybody. Anyway, that's all I have True. to say. Well, my opinion about the what's more interesting than this douchebag on iTunes was the Pink performance. And I saw a video of it. I wasn't there. You were there, so you saw it better mm-hmm. than I did. Um, how was how her voice? Did she sound good on, on Patience? Yeah. Yeah, no, she sounded great. And the videos I watched after, because I was still far, I was far away. <laughs> I was just trying to right. get my phone out to just at least take a shitty picture of it. Uh, but no, she sounded great, man. It was a, it was a perfect song for her to be on. I wish she did well, yeah, more. Yeah, she's, she's awesome. Yeah, no, she's awesome. I like her a lot. No, I, I don't, you know, all these people who are thinking, who are, these people who are against GNR collaborating with pop stars or GNR not being a hard rock band from the 80s anymore are delusional, lost, confused, um, sad, pathetic, and just don't understand anything anymore because it's like <laughs> the, the world has moved on. I'm writing a book about the history, so I'm writing a book about the past. Mm-hmm. I love the, I'm a nostalgia freak. I love the 80s. I'm obsessed. I have all the magazines. The band magazines, the fucking circus, hip parade, all this shit from the 80s collected in a box. All I care about is the fucking past. But I have no reason to expect the current sort of generation or the current version of GNR or the current world to, you know, capitulate to the way I want shit to be. It's 2017, man. Pop stars run the world. Rock and roll is number two to pop. It's unfortunate. You know, Katy Perry can sell out a fucking stadium tour in 15 seconds. Whereas even GNR, for God's sakes, has to like work to sell some tickets more than these people do. Like Beyonce and Katy Perry and these these dolt pop stars have literally nothing to say. These vacuous, empty, vapid vessels of stupidity—they can sell out entire stadium tours in 15 seconds on, on the dot. Like Taylor Swift's tickets to her concert are so exclusive, she has to have contests to fucking win the tickets. I, all these you know, art, all these artists, I feel, have an expiration date. You know, and that's how I look. No, they don't. But they don't, Brando. They have internet and they have social media and they have PR marketing. They have no expiration date. There are no, Kim Kardashian has no expiration date. If Kim Kardashian, who's an absolutely empty sort of, you know, the most one of the world's dumbest people, she's is worthless. also one of the most worthless. famous people on the planet. Yeah. So the fact that she can never go away and she'll never go away and her fame will just grow and grow and grow and grow. And I just saw a Twitter fucking thing right now as I'm talking to you. I mean, I kid you not. It says, it's literally a Twitter moment. It's, <laughs> it's people who want to celebrate Kim's birthday more than their own birthday. That's literally the moment. People who want to celebrate Kim's you know, birthday more than their own birthday. So that, that's the world we live in. So there is an expiration I don't want to date, live right? in that. I mean, that's so you're trying to change it journalistically. I'm trying to change that, the dialogue with a uh, podcast. Of course, it's centered around GNR, but we talk about mental health and all these other important issues with it. So I'm with you. That's why I have you on. And that pisses me off. I mean, I, I don't want to accept that. I mean, I know what it is. I'm not going to stick my head in the ground like an ostrich. 
But, you know, there are other parts in, of the world, and that, that makes me feel better, where a Katy Perry won't do as well as a Guns N' Roses or a, as a rock band. But unfortunately, for the most part, you are right. And I don't, and it, it pisses me off. I don't get it. I think there, I saw a, a meme this morning that said, uh, you know, 10 seasons of Duck Dynasty, but one season of Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, what does that say? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just a bunch of idiots um, for the most part. So I thought, that's what it says. <laughs> but it also says it also says that we we do have the right and we do have the you know American privilege of being able to enjoy stupid shit and have a good time and not have to be intellectual about everything. Yes. I just think, look, look. I remember when I'll never forget, and I flipped. I was one of those fanboys. I remember when Slash collaborated with Fergie. I flipped. I lost my fucking. You don't even know, like good or bad way. The reaction, yeah, the reaction I Wait, had good or bad way? Good or bad I, way? I was pissed. I was pissed. Oh, what is okay. Shit? Fergie sucks. She's no, she's just awful. And why is Slash, the greatest guitar player of my generation, mm-hmm. well, second after Van Halen, <laughs> collaborating <laughs> with collaborating with this fucking <laughs> this girl who sings about her ass? Literally, <laughs> has a song about her ass. Her oh, lovely oh. lady lumps or whatever. My hump, my hump. Yeah, I mean, I was pissed. But then, you know what? You know, I figured out, and then I found out over the years she's a hardcore GNR fan. She grew up worshiping Axel, you know. Her kid's name was Axel. Hmm? Her kid's name was Axel. Her kid's name was Axel. It's like Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey is the same thing. She wrote a fucking song about Axel Rose. If Lana Del Rey came out and did a collaboration with Axel Rose, I'd be like, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to even speak to the rumors about them dating or whatever. Who cares? But I'm just talking about the fact that this is a person who grew up as a big time fan. And now has the opportunity to live out that fantasy with the band. Like, that's awesome. To me, that's cool. Fergie was a fan, so it's okay. And then I was like, all right, it's fine. But if it's just like to do it, because this pop star has got a lot of money and a lot of followers, and that would have been so heinous and stupid. I agree. But but so I, I mean I don't. And Ian, back- uh, when we spoke about the last episode, Ian brought up that it was some like MTV Diary show where. You know, it was about Pink, and she's cruising around in her car, blasting Guns N' Roses. So, I mean, she does go back, and yeah. I and I, I believe um, D. Snyder was saying the same thing online, talking about the fucking Kardashians and how they came out with those lines of um, of of shirts with Ozzy, and and, and they they put their own image on it. And D. Yeah. would be like, I would be okay if they actually listened to these fucking bands. You know, and if they want to, and the argument from some of his followers were, well, if it gets at least one person to listen to Slayer, he's like, do you think any Kim Kardashian fan or even a Bieber fan is going to see, you know, Bieber and him as his Manson obsession now? Uh, I mean, is he going to get one kid to listen to that music? I don't know. Maybe. But here's No, but here's I'm okay with pop stars who are musicians and artists. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, kind of reappropriating or borrowing from or stealing from rock bands. Because Bieber's entire marketing tour, entire tour and marketing sort of strategy and font and aesthetic was ripped off from Manson. That's like not even, a, that's like a full-blown, you just have to look, you just go on Google and Google what it. Do you mean, like, what, do you, like, what do you mean, like, briefly? Because obviously they, we don't give a shit about I mean, Bieber and Manson. If you, if, I don't know if you've noticed, even Taylor Swift recently with, um, with her reputation kind of um, cover art and artistic direction, all these pop stars are, are purposefully borrowing from like a heavy metal aesthetic. Um, and it's not because they're doing it because they love heavy metal. They're doing it because it's what's popular. I literally went to Forever 21 
with this girl who I was oh, dating. Okay. Yeah, I was born twenty one in the Orange County, a giant two floor Forever Twenty One. And you know what the number one fucking like item you'll see is rock and roll shirts. Torn apart, yes, like fake, yes. fake fucking reappropriated rock shirts. It's a thing now. It's the fucking aesthetic. And they're borrowing it. They're ripping it off to make money off it. You're right. The Kardashians, the problem with the Kardashians doing it. I noticed it, uh, it was happening in country music a lot, too, with the, uh, the the chain wallets and just getting all tatted yeah. up. I mean, getting all tatted up used to be a rock thing. And then it just, uh, I mean, you can do whatever you want. It's great. And you can argue that, you know, rock took shit from the blues and all that fun stuff. But you're right. When it's just being sold as a, a fashion statement, you might find this also funny. I think there might be three or four girls on uh, Tinder that I, I connected with that uh, had a Guns N' Roses shirt on. None of them know, uh -oh. like, anything uh -oh. about the band. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay. Awesome. I know. Well, it is awesome. And it's not like it was a, it's not a deal breaker. But I'm like, really? Come on. How I do I Talk about, let, let's do like a, a quick get in the ring about that, actually. A quick okay. one, like five seconds. Get in the ring, motherfucker! Here's the thing. I go to a fucking mall. I, I'm a mall rat, okay? I, like, like I said, I'm stuck in the fucking 80s. I don't really care about the current anything. So I go to malls all the time. Every mall in the fucking California, Southern California area I've been to like five times. I see all the GNR merch, okay? All of it. In Hot Topics or Forever 21s or wherever they have it, Macy's, whatever. Target. Spencer um, Gifts. This fan, okay, I love you I love you and our guys. Like, if they ever fucking get this message, please. Update the merch. This band is so cool. They have so much interesting, badass history. The stuff Axl Rose, this is stuff fucking Axl Rose wore on the Use Your Illusion tour. Re-fucking-do all that shit. Take the Manson shirts, make it a GNR shirt. Make hmm. it like Axl's face instead of Manson's face. Take all that cool-ass fucking shit that all of us love and redo it, man. Put a fucking the new modern spin on the shit Axel Roar on Use Your Illusion or all of the different shirts that fucking Flash wears that are really fucking cool. I mean, Flash is a horror music, a horror movie fan, right? He yeah, has his own big time. He has his own goddamn production company. Why don't we just have Flash do a horror film t-shirt line yeah. and put it out? Like, what is going on? This is, the, this is the only complaint I have about the current resurgence of this band. They've literally forgotten about merch and cool shit. Well, what about like, the lithographs? Uh, what about the lithographs that every those show? Are, those are fucking awesome. Um, they were badass. But I'm talking about the shirts more. Sure. I'm talking about the shirts and sweaters. Like, even the shirts and sweaters, it's just, it's just, you know, and I think what it is, this is my opinion, I could be wrong. I think it was so hard to negotiate this reunion that they were like, you know what? The only merch we're going to fucking put out, really, is the goddamn um, Colt Pistols. And the fucking rose logo and the bullet logo and just call it a day. Well, we're just gonna put that on a bunch of shit. We're gonna slap it on a bunch of shirts and put it out. I'm curious. <laughs> to, I'm curious about this though, because you, you are right. And you know, I've gone to, I went to that one show uh, at MSG and I bought like another shirt. It was like, but you know, the t the typical logo, baseball style tee. Some of the lithographs are on T-shirts. I will say that before I get you know angry emails. Uh, but this was posted actually yesterday. I don't know if you're in this Facebook group, uh, not in this lifetime, the GNR fan spot. And it's from Kohl's, all right? And it actually has Frank in it. It's just like it's like a, a, a concert shot of, oh, wow. of a live show where you see Slash up front rocking out. Uh, Duff's back is, is to the drums. I guess Slash, uh, Axel's back there getting a drink of water by the drums. And you see Frank back shirt? there. Yeah, it's a, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at oh, it right so, now. Someone just, someone just made that. That's not. Yeah, it's, it's from yeah, it's from Coles, but I know Coles doesn't always do everything, you know, uh, officially. I see UK tour 1987 at Coles. So if if you weren't born, yeah. you can get it.
Yeah, they're they're probably gonna get lawsuits when someone figures that out. So the things like Gene Art, we gotta remember like this is a band that has a pretty tight knit management team and a really kind of it isn't like they're fucking they have a giant corporation of 750 lawyers and fact checkers running around the internet. There's probably people making illegal merch and putting it out there and selling oh, it sure. for sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and, and they're not catching they're not catching it, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, just update, just do some cool shit. It's not that hard, guys. The lithographs are bad. I remember the one where it was like the skull skater guy. Okay. And he was doing like this. He's busting a fucking ollie in the air. And that was, that was like one of the most popular ones that sold out when it came to Los Angeles. But that was the most badass one. I remember fans thinking that was like a, a sort of a homage to Izzy. But there's a photo of Izzy doing that in like one of his yearbooks or something. And it's like exact photo versus lithograph. Anyway, um... Yeah, update the merch. Make it more fun. Fuck it. You got, I mean, the tour's almost over, but why not, you know? Give us a fucking DVD. Give us a fucking... <laughs> I want a fucking GNR video game. Where's the video game where it's like Slash and Axel like, together in a side-scroller beating the shit out of a bunch of fucking stupid hipsters? That's the game that I want to play. <laughs> I'm just visualizing like it's the old-school X-Men game where yes. it's like an actual arcade game and you're just fighting hipsters going along the, and everyone has yeah, like their own superpower. It. You know, maybe Slash's hair goes out super long like a uh, spawns cape or something like that oh my god yes, yes. And, like, and then duff like descends from like some punk rock minivan and gets out <laughs> with a bunch of ninja turtles and beats the living crap out of a bunch of fucking stupid like idiots drinking craft craft coffee and playing playing fake retro arcade and like fucking eating korean barbecue somewhere <laughs> or melissa reese could be like jubilee but instead of sparkles it's just like reese's pieces i love melissa reese she's the cool her twitter and her social media is like the funnest most cartoony She's like a little, I don't know what it is. She's like a suicide girl or a suicide squad character in GNR. It's like the coolest, weirdest, most like strange thing I never thought I'd ever see. I, She's awesome. I love it. She's, and if anybody, if anybody is listening that cares about Melissa Reese at all, just go on her social media and like, like, like it, talk to her, exchange words with her. She's fucking awesome. And she's really down to earth. She'll talk to anybody and she's chill and she's not, you know, no offense to Axel, Slash, and Duff. God bless them. They're awesome. But, you know, they're not going to respond to a tweet. <laughs> but she will. She's awesome. She's yeah. like, you know, do you know remember you can all talk to? Go do it. Why are people so, you know, this whole, like, pushback? Why is there a random, like, girl? It's like, she's fucking awesome. Who cares? Yeah, Grow I don't the get fuck that. up, you jealous. Grow up, you jealous bastard. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she's awesome. I believe it's uh, the Melissa Reese uh, on Instagram and Twitter because I follow her as well. And I think actually one of the things that you may speak to Walker about that you touched on last episode was that he knew about uh, Melissa working with Brain on the in, in the studio sessions for Chinese. Right. And he was like, right, I right. never thought in my life that she would be on, on the stage version. He's like, that's so cool when she was going on stage. I don't know. He made it sound like he watched his, like, his sister, you know, make the, 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 get the call up to the majors or something like that. So that was, uh, that was very, very cool, man. Um, right with Brain, yeah, she collaborated with him. They, they had a great little interesting musical partnership, and yeah, that's how she got involved with GNR. That is a fucking good story. You know, I I wish I had a chance to talk to Melissa about Chinese democracy, but I never did. You have your article out now, though, that we can just uh, it's on LAWeekly dot com, or where's your Melissa Melissa article? Oh, I, inter- I interviewed Melissa like a year, I don't know, like a year ago or some shit. I don't know, a few months ago. It's in yeah, it's on the LA Weekly website. Or okay, it's, I mean, if you guys want to just go on my Twitter at art. Tavana, A-R-T-T-A-V-A-N-A, and just check out my website. All my GNR shit's on there. And if you guys want to talk about Guns N' Roses, hit me up on there, and we can just exchange words. And if you guys... Oh, another thing is, I want to put this out to all the fans. 
if you've been on the Not in This Lifetime tour and you're also a GNR fan who saw them in the 80s, like, I want to talk to you for my book. So I want to talk to people who saw GNR in the original sort of, not, not necessarily the original lineup, but whatever, the, the 80s versions or the 90s versions of that band. You know, use your illusion to, you know, Appetite Era. And people who then resaw that in their hometown in, on Not in This Lifetime and your perception or your thoughts on the, the difference or the cool factor and the changes or whatever. Just so the, hit me up. Hit me up on Twitter, whatever. Let's talk. Awesome, awesome. Because I know plenty of people like that, and when you hear the yeah. reactions, it's saying some people say like he sounds better, or they're they're great, or it brings back memories. It's just like wow. So uh, yeah, definitely reach out to Art. I also do want to just quickly mention uh, Frank Farrar does sometimes respond. He did like my comment because uh, I'm such a teeny bopper sometimes. Oh, he liked my comment on Facebook uh, when he. I don't know. I think he must have done it all the MSG shows, but at least for the one that I went to when they introduced him. He made the um, the sign that Larry Johnson, the former basketball player for the Knicks, made with his arms, and uh-huh. uh, and I put that that picture up on his Facebook, and he liked it, so that made me feel good about myself. That's all. It was it was a pointless story, but he responds too sometimes. <laughs> but to be fair, to be fair, Dell James responds. He's cool. He's awesome. Yes. Really nice guy and whatever. So I mean, they respond. I mean, what I'm just I'm just saying, you know, for the band members who are, you know, at the forefront sort of popularity right now. Melissa is the most chill, you can just talk to her kind of deal. I don't know, maybe um, Richard Fortas responds. I feel like he does, but I don't really talk to Richard Fortas ever on anything. But I heard he, like, talked about Izzy and stuff before. I'm, so that's kind of cool. I'm close. I know people uh, who are friends with uh, Richard and also Frank. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to grease those wheels, uh, you know, because I, I understand it's tricky. You know, like how Gilby Clark just did an interview, but it was a print interview talking about Guns N' Roses, and I've reached out to him before. And I know this could be intimidating, uh, especially since I'm not like fucking Howard Stern or Elvis Duran that everybody knows who I am, uh, that they don't feel threatened. Uh, But, you know, the more episodes that we do, the more people that are in that circle, you know, hoping to to gain that trust. Uh, Any other updates uh, before I let you go? Because I know you have a a, a very busy or very important meeting, I should say. I mean, I got like... 20 more minutes or whatever, but yeah, I mean, updates, oh, okay. no, not, I mean, not really any updates, just sort of working on the book, the GNR book. Um, I'm meeting a Geffen publicist um, today to continue my, my, I think now it's been, well, let me see, one, two, five years, essentially, that I've been on and off, vaguely, bizarre, bizarrely working on this book, and it sounds crazy to people, but yeah, it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was when I started when I made the decision to write about this band and then I got my book deal properly about a year ago. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm, that's, you know, you should get on the show. Oh God. Who? That would be a great get. Let's try to get Ricky Rackman on the show. That'd be awesome. I actually, because so I reached out to Racky, uh, Racky, <laughs> to Ricky. Racky, what the fuck was that? I, I, what was that? I think that's a, a new kind of Pokemon. Bickle, bickle. Ricky Rackman, uh, he wasn't, because he's always doing these bike, um, you know, trails. He's always on his motorcycle going around the country. And he was right. in the city, and I, and I hit him up on our Twitter, and he responded. And he's like, oh, you hit me up on my last day. So he did respond. So I'd like to think that door is open at some point to reach out to uh, to Ricky Rackman because I don't think he talks about Headbangers Ball too much now, uh, but I'm sure he would still have some interesting GNR stories. So, well, yeah. if Ricky Rackman's out there, anybody knows how to get to him, let me know. I mean, I've talked to him once once or twice, but 
he's sort of fallen off the radar. But if he wants to talk about Junior, let's do it. Let's get him on the show. That'd be really fucking fun. Although I will say, I will say, I've heard, well, I've heard the relationship with him and Junior is not too great. So I don't know if that matters. I don't know. I don't even know if that means, but. Whatever. I mean, rock and roll, people fight, people get in grudges, everyone needs to stop being such pussies. <laughs> Have some fun. Put it all behind you. The 80s are over. The 90s are over. The fucking, you know, most of the 2000s are fucking over. And just, like, <laughs> let's just fucking rock and roll, enjoy, talk about life, talk about the stories, talk about the history, give the fans snippets, you know, weird quotes and weird, like, weird visions that they've never had before. And let's put aside the egos and the cocaine for like, a month. <laughs> I agree with you. Unless, you know, you ran over somebody's dog or shot the grandma in the face. I mean, you can forgive anything. Come on. Dude, you know you should get on the show Tani. You should get Tani Kane. I like that idea. Does she have any, be, does she have any so, GNR connection? I mean, I... Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You don't have to have a follow-up to that. Who cares? Just to get Tawny Katina on. I mean, she was the cat house and shit. Yeah, she probably has some GNR connection or some, you know, Sunset Strip connection. I know. Um, I'm supposed to reach out to, and hopefully he says yes, uh, Jimmy Webb. Uh, he, uh, when Slash and everybody was in town for the recent MSG shows, him and Duff and, and, and Duff's wife, Susan, were at this uh, clothes store opening. Uh, I need more. Uh, is the name of the clothes store, and I guess I'm like I'm in New York. Uh, I saw one of Slash's uh, Instagrams about him saying that he's one of the, like the nicest people he's ever met in rock and roll. I'm like I got to talk to this guy, so I did. Sp- I did speak to him on the phone. Uh, super nice guy. I actually left him a voicemail, and it was all about Iggy Pop. I'm like, oh, this guy's got fucking great. What is this? Guy? So I ended up speaking about to him, and he's like, I'm I'm actually like friends with Slash and Duff, but like, why do you want to talk to me? I'm not a musician. I don't. I, you know, this would be the second radio show I, I've ever been on. The last time I was on was Studio 54. What? That's exactly what I want to talk to you. And, you know, and I guess just how I mentioned with Gilby or any other person I would like to get on, I said, you don't have to tell me anything inappropriate. I just want to know, did Slash steal your popcorn when you went to the movies? That could be funny. Uh, so hopefully sure. we get on uh, Jimmy Webb soon. Uh, so we're getting a lot of people. Uh Keep suggesting. I mean, it's amazing. We do get suggestions for, uh, for guests, um, even including fans. Uh, we interviewed that guy, uh, Kevin from Ireland uh, with you art on on the line, and there was somebody who hit me up right after our last episode from. Uh, forgive me, I, I forget his name, but from Croatia, and he was telling me how he, you know, used to drop bombs in the service listening to Appetite, you know, and almost yeah. dying. I'm like, this, this is a fucking great stories, man. So if you have a great story. No, not only reach out to Art, reach out to us. Same thing. Oh, who was it? Who was the dropping bombs in Iraq listening to Appetite? It was a uh, a listener from Croatia. I'm going to see if I can find the tweet. He's an American? No, he lives in Croatia. I'm, I'm saying we, we get uh, messages from literally across the, the globe. I'm going to see if you I know can. What? You, know, you know who I'd really want to listen to talk to? Let's put this out there to them. That would be an awesome show. Is an American soldier who went to the first Gulf, um, Gulf War, Desert Storm, and was listening to, like, User Illusion sure. or Appetite. I mean, well, Appetite. I think User Illusion still hadn't come out yet. But Appetite and, you know, had a cassette, like, on their fucking Walkman and was, like, fucking launching missiles and sniping fucking Iraqis. Like, it was a fucking... That, that would be... Oh, God, that'd be so badass. That, to me, is, like, the ultimate movie. It's, like, the vision of this, like, American soldier, a jarhead, a Marine with, like, this, like, camo 
sitting in a desert with like a sniper rifle with a with a Walkman on his head, listening like a yellow Walkman listening to that for destruction and just sniping fucking Iraqis. Oh, I know. Is that, disturb- is that disturbing? I don't know. I love that. No, no. That's that creates a uh, a good visual. Oh, okay, I, I found it. He goes, I'm a Croatian war veteran. I have so many stories blasting GNR over mine ground to Serbian soldiers. Welcome to the jungle in capital letters. Fuck yeah, we gotta talk to you. So he's like, absolutely. So uh, that's that's exactly. See, that's what I like. In addition to like, yeah, like last episode, we find out little tidbits and, and little secrets, stories. You know, like I, maybe we can change the show uh, to instead of making a murderer, it could be making a GNR. You know, to, right. to see what what makes us all tick around this uh, GNR world that we're in. Yeah, I'd be that awesome. You know what? We, you know, God, that'd be so cool. I wish I was. I kind of wish I was on the Chinese Democracy um, episode. That would have been fun because there's so much to talk about. It's the perfect time. It's the we're we're getting into the 10 year anniversary of that record. Oh, so, I can't. But anyway, 10 years. Well, we're gonna have him on again. There was more to say because uh, it went longer than we even wanted. I think it was nearly a two hour episode. So by all means, next time we have Walker on. What she said, he'd be happy to. He, uh, he's also overwhelmed with all the positive responses because he's getting tweets and, and and Facebook and all that fun stuff. And actually, I think we're getting called by Desi right now. So hold on one second. What's up, Desi? Nice to meet you. Or nice to how's it going? Uh, for, I did the same thing to Art, man. I gotta stop fucking smoking pot and and be aware of time zones. And thank you both for dealing with my unprofessional nature. So thank you. More than fine. It's okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad that uh, I wanted Art to kind of co-host this episode with me, because uh, mm-hmm. Desi, when you reached out, you're talking about a time period that that Art is really researching. Hey, De- hey Desi, do people ever hit you up about the decline of Western civilization thing? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that. That's how I knew you. I always, I always, I always saw that documentary, and you were in it. But I didn't, like, when I saw it as a kid or when I saw it a few years ago, I didn't know who you were, but I saw you in it constantly. And I was like, man, he's funny. He's interesting. He's like a real character. Like, he'd be someone cool to talk to. And, it is so funny talking. because I never saw it. To this day? You never, you've never seen it? No, no. I have a clip, and I never saw it. Like, honestly, oh. it's so, so funny because um, that really wasn't my scene, but I knew them, and I knew Penelope. Because spirits, because I used to hang out with in her house with her daughter Anna and Tracy and Todd Muscat. Oh, you know, okay. I know these. I knew these people like my, my like my mother. You just ended up being in it in a kind of random occurrence kind of thing. Well, that was the scene, but that was the other scene. It's she she dealt in like the, the poisons, the Odins. Um, like, like, you know, like Lizzie Borden's, you know. <laughs> yeah, Lizzie Borden's awesome. <laughs> Pastor Pussycat. But Pastor Pussycat was my friend. Let's, but let's backtrack a, okay. a, a second, though. So, Scenesters, Music Mayhem, and Melrose Avenue, 1985 to 1990 is the name of your mm-hmm. documentary. And we're just briefly yeah. touching on just some of what you, you've experienced. Uh, and also, you you were uh, a talent agent for for which record company as well? Um, when I was nineteen, I worked at Virgin Records. Uh, what were you? You were a talent agent, correct? No, um, I was a talent scout. Talent talent scout, talent agent. You know, yeah. I'm allowed to get that wrong, I think. Uh, 
and you were a roadie for Slash as well? Because I kind of just want to paint a little bit of a picture before we get into the meat and potatoes. Basically, I was a roadie. I met Slash at the Troubadour um, when uh, Lines and Ghosts and the Joneses played. And um, I said, you know, I would love to come rugby for you because I saw the band comes in roses, but I didn't see him in the band. I saw Tracy Guns in the band. Mm. And I, I said, okay, you know, that's the scene. I'm in. I was 17 years old at the time. And um, basically he said, meet me at the Troubadour at 4 o'clock in the afternoon behind the Troubadour, and you could be my roadie. Huh. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> Just as simple as that. That would not happen nowadays. So having seen Tracy Guns and Slash play in those early, early shows of GNR, what did you okay. think on the, the difference between the two players? Night and day. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when you, like, explain what you mean. Slash is a god. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. Slash was so good. Like, it's so funny because during my interviews, like, people that I know that knew them, you know, this one guy said, who grew up with them, he said, you know, Tracy always sucked, but Slash was good at age 14. He was so good. That's true. That's true. I remember talking to Mark Cantor. I had coffee with Mark Cantor a couple of years ago, and he talked to me sure. about Slash in, like, West L.A. in a garage playing his guitar from, like, B.C. Rich, Mockingbird, yeah. and he was, kind of like, he was like this weird hybrid of Jimi Hendrix and Van Halen, and nobody had ever seen anything like that before. He was so good. And, like, the band was, like, fire. You know, like, it was so great. Heck, you know? Heck, yeah. Because, like, they had, like, punk rock and rock and roll. They were the hybrid. Duff and Izzy came from that Hanoi Rocks and, you know, Black Flag thing. And, like, Stephen Adler came from, like, and Slash came from um, Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. And Sla mm -hmm. Axel came from, like, the loudest singer ever. They were so good. <laughs> That's what we, uh, we heard. I don't know if you know uh, Alan St. Elisa. Uh, he was in. Oh, we spoke about that the other day, didn't we, Desi? Uh, from Shire, and yeah, went, I, I heard of the band Shire. Right. So when uh, Shire, within Shire, Izzy was a part of it very, very briefly, even before Hollywood mm -hmm. Rose. And when he said he met Axl Rose for the first time, he has just he never heard anyone sing that loud before. Like, it was just ACDC, but with more balls, if you can believe it or yeah. not. So that's how he expressed it. So the story seems to be consistent. So I, I want to get a little bit more about uh, you and your path and in, 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 into making this this documentary. So you're you're from L.A. originally? Oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're calling from Las Vegas, though, today, correct? Yeah. Okay. And we also did have a little bond because I found out that uh, – well, not found out. Like, I really did uh, some investigating reporting that you're friends <laughs> with our friend uh, Raz Q., who managed uh -huh. LA Guns back in the day. And sure. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you know, and I started talking, like, hey, you know what? Raz and I bonded over the fact that we're both handicapped, you know, because I see the cover mm -hmm. of his book with handicapped logos. And then you mentioned apparently we're the three amigos. So, I mean, <laughs> so I, I, I just want, and forgive me, I guess since I'm also handicapped, I'm allowed to bring it up. Uh, that's in today's culture. 
uh, you got into an accident a few years ago. So I just wanted, because I know there's a podcast, and I can hear you fine. But yeah. if there's, you know, anything, because uh, once you told me you were in a major car accident and you still remember all these things, uh, then you're like, oh, well, I didn't do drugs. Well, apparently getting into a car accident is somehow better than doing drugs because you remember everything. It's amazing because I remember everything, everything crystal clear, but I can't remember 1130 to on March 23rd, no, um, 2009, and six weeks later, um, I woke up. Unbelievable. You know? I can't remember the accident. Well, I'm glad that you're you're here. Uh, yeah, thank first you. Of all, I guess one, that that goes without saying. I just want to, you know, because it's a podcast, people listen. So I guess um, at least wanted to get that out of the way. So forgive me for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you grew up in L.A. And then, what kind of kid were you? Were you a rock and roll kid? How did you get into into whatever scene that you're you're in that your documentary covers? You know, um, basically, I. Um, was a rock and roll kid. I love Circus Magazine, Hip Raider, um, all the magazines. And I would go and read the, the liner notes. And basically, I grew up in um, Culver City. And these guys from Rat would hang out there at Bob's Liquor and read the magazines with me. Hmm. And Stephen Pierce said, dude, we're in the magazine. And um, I would read the magazines and basically saw that these people that I idolized had histories in the Hollywood clubs. Now, granted, I was too young for the Starwood, but, and the Roxy was, closed and the whiskey had like dance music but the true girl was it and um it was really like two miles away from me and i went there i lived it i loved it that's awesome so how did you get into like you started going to shows you remember what your first show was your first concert you ever saw i think london oh wow oh nice so that was with Nikki Six, correct? No, no. Well, not yet? London, London with Nikki Six was in 79-80. Okay. I missed the Motley Crue at the Starwood. You know, I delved into Motley Crue probably at um, Shadow of the Devil. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because I've, I've talked to so many uh, guys like you, Desi, from your generation are people who saw Motley Crue in a heyday and then now, um, 30 years later, what do you think in, high, in sort of with foresight, looking back at bands like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and how different, I mean, how different Gene is from Motley Crue, but what did you, how has your perception of Motley Crue changed over the years? Do you still think they were as great as they were when you saw them or has sort of hindsight altered your perception? What do you think all these years later? Well, Motley Crue, basically, they have five great records. And... In the beginning of the 1990s, they were done. And they were done ever since. Yeah. You know. That's true. Love, yeah, they, they have yeah, done I... nothing since. They've done nothing since, like, what, what was it? Not, not Shout's Devil. What was the, the record that came out of Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, Dr. Feelgood's pretty much, yeah. 
And then, yeah, I mean, I never really, you know, the thing was for me with, with Motley Cruz, I loved that band. It was fun. It was exciting. Those records, I mean, I wasn't from that era. I think you had to have been, I feel like with Motley Crue, you had to have been from that era at those shows, at those parties, and been a part of it to really appreciate that band. Whereas GNR, you could be 19 years old in 2017 and put on Appetite for Destruction and be like, this is the best fucking record I've ever heard, which is what, the unique difference, I think, between the two bands. I think Molly Crew is more about lifestyle, and I think GNR was more like Led Zeppelin in a weird way. To Art's point, I've kind of, you know, I liked Motley Crue. I, I still do. But as I've gotten older, it's just the li- I don't identify with the lyrics as much because it is about partying. It is about a lifestyle. You know, I want to be in bed, you know, by 11. I don't want to get up at 11. But uh, with Guns N' Roses, their, their songs, uh, there's such a variety of like every age group and such a maturity to their, their, their songwriting that I haven't grown out of it. Look, it's like Led Zeppelin versus some 60s psychedelic band that was really awesome for some 60s rock and roll band that really focused on their scene. I feel like Molly Crew is really about the scene. And if you're a part of that scene, you really love that band because they're, they're talking about your life. Where GNR sort of left the scene and became something quite bigger and different and sort of just a different kind of rock and roll band. Not, not taking away anything from Motley Crue. They're phenomenally talented musicians. I mean, the, I mean, those records will stand the test of time, but... Still, I just don't think, I don't know, it was just an interesting story. I just wanted to get your POV on it. That's, that's awesome that you were there. Well, I think the interesting thing about Motley Crue is they would, maybe it's my analogy, maybe I'm wrong, but they would go to L.A. to see what's happening and bust it out on the world, okay? Now, Brampton, Shot of the Devil was the L.A. metal scene. Flat out, it was a pit. Like Keel and Steeler and like a lot of stuff happened at the time. The Great White, the Rats. And all of a sudden, um, um, Theater of the Pain happened and like Poison happened. And... Doc Feel Good, actually, girl, Girls, 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 happened at the same time as uh, GNR, like the biker thing. You know, mm. like Nikki, Nikki, like, I love Nikki, but I respect him, but he wears his influences on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. You know? I see what you mean by that. Like, you could, you could like, you could... Basically, he's a product of Sweet. He's a product of Slade. You know, like absolutely. He loves his. He loves his influences. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's true. I think and GNR really changed their sound. They they love their influences, but they never try to sound like anybody. Although to me, it's weird. The more, the older I get, the more GNR sounds like Zeppelin to me. In a, in, a, in a sort of an 80s, trashy, sleazy version of what's up, and more and more every year to me. But uh, but I have to run because I'm actually going to meet with, like, a former FNPR person um, really soon for, like, an interview thing. But Desi, it was super, super fucking cool to meet you. I'd love to talk to you again one day about my book. Um, I'm writing a book about GNR, so maybe we can talk again. Right. See, I'm meeting uh, all these awesome people. Desi, through doing this Guns N' Roses podcast, and mm-hmm. Artivana being one of them, and uh, obviously you being another. And when I spoke to you know Art about who I'm going to interview next, he wanted to come on, so of course, and uh, mm-hmm. you know people are busy, so I appreciate 
uh, Art coming on, uh, but we're going to continue with Desi, of course. We have all the time in the world, right? Uh, so other than Guns N' Roses, uh, what other bands do you cover in the documentary, and what was the reason behind it? Why did you want to put this out? You know, like, <laughs> I was watching the Jon Stewart show, and um, they have these people. Wait, the, the Jon Stewart show or the Daily yeah. Show? Because there was the Jon Stewart show before. No, you're right. The Daily Show. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That was, I'm being overly nerdy about it. <laughs> Anyways, um, they had a, docu- a documentary, a book coming out where these people, um, you know, I can't remember the documentary, but basically in Trenton, New Jersey, there was a scene. And um, it was a great scene. And I've been to the club. It was a, like a punk rock club. And basically, John Stewart was the bartender there, actually. And um, they had these guys on. And I thought to myself, you know, there was no scene, a documentary involving um, that scene, that L.A., East Alaska, underground, Melrose Avenue scene. Are you trying to get... I guess people don't know that there were a lot of sub-scenes? There was a sub-scene. There was basically goth, alternative, garage, and um, Brock melded together. East Lafayette. Like, you know, like, the Roxy, the Whiskey, the Troubadour had these sunset strips. Like nonstop, pay to play. Anybody could show up with five, like six hundred bucks, and do their gig. But good, good matches up with good in that era. East Lafayette and the clubs. You know, a band, a club called Scream was amazing. White Trash Go was amazing. You know, like it was like a dance. Meets rock. It's it's a very interesting thing that happened in basically 1985 to 1990. So, what was the the scene there? What kind of people would would go? Would it be predominantly men, women? What kind of uh... women? Uh, very goth, very black clothes, very cowboy hats, very the Cure meets Aerosmith. Hmm. So tell me some of the some of the bands that you've seen and what it was like seeing Jane's Addiction for the first time because I know you also got the Chili Peppers in there and they've had such a, a long and just interesting career of the, of their sound. So I, I want to know some of the bands that are covered in the in your documentary. Jane's basically Jane's Addiction. Was, I saw the first show and they were amazing. They still are, but um, they were. God, they were like a Led Zeppelin meets Gothic, meets very like ethereal. Imagine going to downtown Los Angeles or East LA or you know like a very very bad part of New York and seeing some band in a basement and I, like. Yeah, no, I've done that with friends, you know, bands in basements, bands in uh, in woodsheds, 
you know, that, yeah. that's that's what you got to do before you know you get booked. Uh, but I've never seen a band play, you know, a garage and then all of a sudden become Jane's Addiction or Guns N' Roses. I've never seen that. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> that's that's what it is. Like th- these people, it's what's like warehouse bands, basically warehouses. They would get a warehouse, an old converted warehouse, and play, show up with a, a PA and invite their 3,000 friends. I mean, this is a, a lost era in time. So that's why your documentary, even when we yeah. posted that we're going to have you on, we're getting messages of people saying that I, I love this. Because there are so many out there, but you... You know, you, you're really like hyper local, for for lack of a better phrase, <laughs> on uh, on something that hasn't been uh, spoken about and touched on. Because I want to yeah. know about uh, more about Jane's addiction, and I want to know more about the Chili Peppers, and of course Guns N' Roses. This being Guns N' Roses podcast, what have your interactions been with any of the members since? Because I can imagine uh, the amount of people that you've worked with over time. You know, I haven't seen Slash. Since they got signed. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, honestly, like, I remember clearly. Because that's why I think it's funny where, you know, you said, hey, can I be a roadie? And he's like, yeah, sure. Because he's not Slash. Yeah, like, and when he like, becomes Slash, it's like, all right, goodbye. I'm, you know, like, I would never ask for a ticket. You know, like, I saw Guns N' Roses opening at the Coliseum for the Rolling Stones, like, I think, 1989. And that's it, you know, like... Oh, yeah? The, yeah. So do you have any uh, desire to see the reunited version of people you kind of knew growing up? Uh, you know, I don't go out much. <laughs> yeah? A, a friend of mine said, going out is... Going out is... No, staying in is the new going out. <laughs> well, I guess when you have everything at your fingertips, like uh, yeah, like you know, there's the internet. Oh, for sure. Well, I don't. And know. I'm deaf in one ear, by the way. Yes, you did tell me that. Yeah, so like I have to, you know, protect it of the one ear that I have left. Hmm. Well, I do. Uh, when I do go to shows, I get handicap seats, and then whenever you you know you're handicapped, at least in my yeah. experience, they treat you like. King. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe because I'm younger, and I, I don't know, maybe they think I'm like kind of slow at the same what time. What happened to you? I have a neurological disorder, uh, demyelinating peripheral neuropathy. Yeah, very sexy. I say that five times fast. Something's missing in the nerves, so the message doesn't fully get there for the brain, so the muscles are weaker just because the nerves aren't working, working correct. So uh, that's kind of been— You sound great to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when people— Meet me. They don't know. I've gotten, especially since I use a cane, I've had people think that I, I'm a part-time pimp. I went on a date with this girl <laughs> that thought she's like, when I first met you and you were walking, I, I, you were, were so cool. You were gliding across the like. I'm like, no, I was limping. That's how I walk. It's 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 a physical thing. Oh, it's a physical thing. Yes, it's a physical. Oh, oh I do have uh, mental stuff. I mean, you know, suffer from uh, depression and uh, all that fun stuff. And that's why I identify with, uh, you know, Axel's lyrics, you know, um, I identify with Chester Bennington and, and Chris Cornell's lyrics uh, growing up. And now when I go to these shows, I I will sometimes, I did it when I was younger because I didn't want to be different. 
you know, when I, I wanted to be up against the stage for whatever show I can, or if I'm holding out to something. But now, mm-hmm. like the last couple of times I've seen GNR, you know, at Giant Stadium, the Madison Square Garden, you know, just put handicap seats. It's usually by an overhang, and they just put out some folding chairs for you. And mm-hmm. I get in. I think that's actually how um, I'm not with all the Guns N' Roses lithographs that are. Uh, going on every single tour that people are paying. Well, you you pay fifty bucks for them, and apparently they're on eBay now for one hundred and fifty. I because w- I was I was just wanted one, so I go in there and it's a stack of like fifty of them. Like how is that possible? And I realized after I went into the handicap entrance and I was ahead of everybody, so that's why. So uh, I'm with you, Desi, where I'd like to be home, and that's why it's something we 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 have discussed with. Uh, the new start times of Guns N' Roses, how this band didn't used to go on until, you know, one o'clock in the morning. And when I saw them, it's they're going on at a quarter to eight. I like yeah. that. I want to be in bed. I want to be in bed. So uh, that's that's just that's my uh, my boring story. Not as uh, as interesting as, as yours. But I wanted to find out from from Raz how his disability affected, you know, his uh, that scene. But yours happened after the fact because that always ends. Oh. I was forty years old. I mean, that's uh, that's difficult. I I, I don't know because mine started around when I was ten. You know, Raz yeah. was uh, was fifteen. Everyone's got their own tale. Uh, this is something I was going to talk about uh, with art. Maybe I can get your opinion on it as well. I mean, a band like Guns N' Roses or Jane's Addiction couldn't happen now. You can't. It can't exist. There's YouTube. Like, you know, there's cell phones. There's Instagrams. There's like, it's there's no grassroots. Right. And that's it's, it's and it's it's sad. It's it's sad. So that's what your your documentary is uh, is covering. So who did you who did you interview? Where did you? How did you go about making this documentary? And I'm I'm assuming this is your first one that you've done. First one. First one. Well, Mazel Tov. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, so who did you interview? Chaim. <laughs> to life, I like that. Well, you got to get the the Chaim. You got to get the in there. No, uh, trust me. My real name is Mizrahi. Oh, is it? Okay. okay. All right. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, what part of the tribe? I love it. Oh yeah. I love it. Uh, so, uh, to, how did you go about creating this uh, this documentary? Who were the, the people who you interviewed? You know, um, basically people that I knew. And, you know, it was hard to nail down certain people, and um, a lot of people were great about it. And I would do gorilla uh, interviewing. I would go to parks. I would go to a studios. I would go to my house um, and interview people everywhere. Yeah, I was watching the trailer, and it was just cool, all the different settings that you, you had it. And, yeah. I was, and I was also watching the, and this is somebody that I I, 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 th- I reached out to him, I want to say maybe last year at some point, uh, but you know Dave Navarro. And, yes. I, and I was watching a clip where you called into a show, and you know he was so happy to hear from you. Because uh, Dave was briefly, I don't know if you, you could ever call him that he was in Guns N' Roses, but I believe he did some of the Chinese democracy uh, he was part of that era, like one of the guitarists that came in and out. So, uh, do you know? I'm, I'm just, I would love to talk to him about that at some point. So, yeah, I heard, I wrote, I read Slash's book. Did you read Slash's book? I did. I did. And basically, um, Slash said, 
he's not into you guys. He's not down with, like, this guy isn't, like, showing up. And um, he, I, I think he blew them off. It was not his thing. Uh, well, that you can understand. I mean, even with the supposed direction that GNR was going with that Oh My God track and perhaps a more industrial uh, sound. Yeah, you know. But I'm just wondering, you know, was there an agreement in place and he just didn't show up? Or he just said, no, thanks. Or did it just not work out? Maybe like, like Zach I have no Miller. idea. All right, well, I have no idea. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. That's why I'm glad your documentary touches on a, a certain sect, a certain scene that has not been covered. Because the Sunset, no. the sunset Strip has been spoken about, you know, too much. I don't know what else there is to say. Just read The Dirt. Read Motley Crue's book. That's all you need to mm-hmm. know. Decline of Western Civilization, part two. That's, That's it. Right. So I, I can't believe, because you mentioned that before, uh, when, or before Art jumped off. And uh, I remember watching that for the first time in college. And, you know, loved that documentary for the good and the bad and the ugly and all of that. And, you know, you're, I, I can't believe you've never seen it, though. Like, do you, uh, that, the, you know, is that, a, is that by choice or you've never sat down and watched it? Yes, it's not, you know. Would it depress you? Because, like, hey, I used to have no. that kind of haircut? No. It's like, uh, you know, like, okay, like, I don't know. It, it really didn't excite me because I lived it. Okay. Fair. You know, like. <laughs> well, I mean, in the same clip, and we did post it, and we'll post it again after the episode that uh, has you at the end. It has yeah. one of the best. I mean, there's two, I think, in my opinion, inf- infamous scenes from the movie. Um, and forgive me. Oh, well, of course, I forget the guys Correct. from Rat. Yes, when he's drinking in the pool. Uh, yeah, the wasp. Yeah, from wasp. Yes, and uh, Ozzy cooking eggs with in his robe <laughs> and the blonde hair. You're in the Ozzy scene. And, yeah. Well, actually, Ozzy, me, and Aerosmith the same day at Miles Copeland's house. Awesome. I mean, that's that's just so cool. I want to I want to reach out to Penelope as well. There's a lot of people I, I want to talk to. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, what do you remember uh, from being Slash's roadie? And you said it was only for like the first four shows, five shows? Four shows, yeah. Four shows. So what do you remember? I would go visit him at the magazine stand. I was 17, barely 17. Winger's song was not about you, not to cut you off. No. I'm only 17. Okay. No. <laughs> I just want to make sure. <laughs> they were moving, you know, like... They needed real people, you know, like, you know, like I played left-handed. I played bass. Okay. You know, I would be a good uh, bass tech, but Flash needs a guy, you know, like, and he was so good. And, and, you know, he was amazing. You know, like, he like... (laughs) It's so funny because, like, nowadays... You could see him like staying there, like like with the the, the top hat, the curly hair, smoking cigarettes. Back then, it was like Chuck Berry. Like he was all over the place. He was so good, and they were so good. I love that because uh, the Chuck Berry reference too, because that creates a great visual, and you could tell his influence by Chuck. And we know Axel. Love Chuck as well. Did you interact with any other GNR members during the roadie time or no? Steven. Steven. So 
Uh, what was your impression of him back then? Wonderful guy. It's you know, <laughs> really sweet him. guy. Mm-hmm. And he was a fan of music. You know, that's what I like when you hear the consistent stories uh, from people. That's how you know it's not bullshit. Where everyone I speak to about uh, Stephen, wonderful guy, sweet guy. Uh, Slash, always hear great stories. You know, very, very warm. Uh, Izzy, always, every, I don't know if you ever ran into him. But uh, yeah. You, you did? Okay. Because I usually get, sure. I get, uh, he was the coolest guy on the planet. That's usually the uh, consensus. So you you made a noise though if you came across as he it was he a... was um to himself. Okay. You know there was a lot of drugs back then. Mm-hmm. Brown. <laughs> okay. So was there like a? I mean, I don't want you to say anything that could get you or him or anyone in trouble or is there just like uncomfortable situations because we i mean his drug abuse is documented so it's not like you're revealing anything about that but was there was there anything that happened to you specifically that made you uncomfortable because you mentioned that you didn't do a lot of drugs so it could just be that that you were just like hey this isn't my scene i'm uncomfortable (laughs) or am i being too am i being too much of a jewish mother about this i remember um me and Izzy was backstage at the Rossby, and um, he said, watch the door. It was only me and him at backstage, and he says, I'm going to do brown. And I <laughs> didn't know what it was. Yeah. I didn't know. And me and Slash and Mark Cantor and... Um, Yvonne slash his girlfriend at the time. Okay. Great girl. Beautiful girl. We went out to Cantor's afterwards, and I said to a Slash, what's brown? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like innocent, you know, innocent little Desi. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, though I, I could see that, and that they, you know, especially because you were uh, young at the time, of course. And I could think, Yo, yeah. Yeah, so if you're not you know, a rock star or not in that scene. I remember the first I time. I have a car. Yeah, I mean, that could be traumatizing. Absolutely. So I get it. I mean, I mean, I've been there the first time. I see drugs or see a beer, you know, when you're young. Uh, that can, that can you know, have an effect. So I understand that. Listen, I've been working on this documentary for a while. And due to the age, like, I have a rest in peace section of the credits. And I would have to continually update it and update it and update it. Mm. Like, okay, this guy died, that guy died, this guy died. I didn't, it's sad because Mario from the Rainbow didn't make it. Mm. But a lot of people, I interviewed this guy who, um, it didn't end up in the movie, but he died, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's it's so sad because this guy who friends with me, friends with the scene, you know, but the problem is he um, didn't remember anything. Mm. It showed in the interview. Like, like I can't remember. I can't remember. I'm not, I can't remember. And, and he died like a couple weeks later. 
It's very sad. Yeah, very. That's what you, you never know, and I think that is great that you took the time to make this documentary about this uh, capsule in time because it, it's a time capsule. Yeah, exactly. So, um, what else do you want to get out there? Because I'm, I, I'm sure you're, you're gonna have, a, you have a busy schedule of staying in your house. <laughs> <laughs> but what are you, uh, what are you up to uh, these days, other than a documentary, or is it just documentary percent? Basically, I'm writing a book version of the documentary. Oh, cool! More pictures and more interviews that they make it in the, it's in the movie. Oh, very cool! Basically, I think less is more. And, like, it's 80 minutes long enough. You know, like, I'm done. And um, you can put out a book version of the documentary with stuff that didn't make in in the movie. A lot of stuff. All right. And uh, so in the website that people can uh, – is it's it's available for streaming or is it available for order? Like, how can we watch it? Okay, you can go to Amazon.com, mm-hmm. YouTube, um, uh, what should we call it? Google Play. You can stream it there. You can go to um, type in Seamsters. Um, there's two Seamsters, but you'll you'll get it. The the, the cover with Axel, Perry Farrell, and uh, um, Anthony. It's the one. Oh yes. Yeah, it has Axel Anthony Kiedis in Jane's uh, Addiction yeah. on the cover. And, of course, we're tweeting it out. Uh, Seamsters, Music, Mayhem, and Melrose. Melrose Avenue. Yeah, Melrose yeah, Avenue. I mean, um, you can go to seamstersdoc.com, and you can basically see everything. Um, the YouTube channel, the Instagram, the, um, the reviews, everything. All right, cool. So what else... Uh, is there anything? What would we? You don't want to give everything away, but what's the? Let's say the second thing that we would take away that we would be shocked by. Um, how it all ends. How it all ends. Oh wow. Okay. Well, you have a little M Night Shyamalan twist or something. <laughs> People grew up. It's like like the last interview, you know, and they said. People grew up. And it's very Sopranos. Okay. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, you didn't see the movie, correct? No, no, not yet. I read up on it. I haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not, I'm not lying to you. Of course. But um, I did a play on the Sopranos. Basically, this guy said, and then I grew up quick. And then you had, uh, well, I'm assuming a different song than Journey playing at the end. No. <laughs> it was um. 15 seconds. Okay. And it's basically, it says, he said, and we grew up in black for 15 seconds, rolls of credits. I like it. Very cool. Very poetic. (laughs) Very poetic. I like that. Well, uh, Desi Benjamin, I I can't thank you enough for for coming on. Uh, I am. Uh, I re- Sup, Jew? Sorry, I, I see I have a, a Cartman Jewish soundbite ready at my disposal at all the time. Uh, so, Desi, you are officially... Bad you're one of our bad apples. You're uh, more than welcome on the show uh, whenever you want, uh, especially now that I found out you're part of the Jewish uh, tribe. I mean, come on, we got to stick together. Yeah, we got to stick together. The greatest part 
You obviously you have a bar, bar mitzvah. Yeah, I was bar mitzvah. Oh, I have to mention this because you'll find this funny because it involves Raz. Uh, so I mean, we try to do this podcast in, in, in uh, as much as real time as we can. So we're we're, we're recording this Sunday, uh, October twenty second, and the Yankees uh, lost last night. Uh, yeah, they, they did not make the World Series. Oh, I mean, I've seen World Series in my life, and the reason I just thought of this now because I was bar mitzvahed October 26, 1996, mm. when the Yankees won the World Series. Uh, but before last night's game, Raz Q reached out to me, and he's like, if the Yankees win, we should have a friendly wager. If the, if the, uh, if the Yankees lose the World Series, you're going to have to wear a Bieber shirt. And I was like, oh, all right. if the Dodgers lose, you're going to have to wear a Miley Cyrus shirt. Oh, God. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's never going to happen because it's the fucking uh, Astros and the Dodgers. So it's sad because the concept, like in 1981, no, 1980, 1981, I w- watched the World Series, the great one. LA for, versus New York was amazing. Goose Gossage, fucking Fernando Valenzuela sure. was amazing. And, um, it's sad because there's not going to be in Los Angeles, New York series. Yeah. Now it's going to be Los Angeles, Houston series. And like, and I know we have listeners in Texas, but I mean, come on, no one gives a shit. (laughs) It's so sad because Houston, what happened to Houston a couple weeks ago? The flood. The flood. Well, like, in, in 2001, when the Yankees were on the World Series, that's when 9-11 Yeah, happened. yeah. And yeah. we lost. So I have no yeah. – <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it facetiously. But, no, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, it's good for both teams because they both haven't been to the World Series in a very long time. And me being only 34, I've seen five Yankees World Series in my life, including uh-huh. to go into games. So it just would have been fun to have a bet with Raz Q going on. So I just, <laughs> I just wanted to share that story What's with you. What's the first concert that you want? I'm going inter- to interview you. Sure. What's the first concert that you went to? Oh, God, you're going to out me. Well, it's not – I don't think it's anything too bad. Uh, Eve Six? Are you familiar with the oh. band Eve Six? No. Well, Eve Six was uh, – I'm trying to – I don't want to say pop punk, but they were like yes, late, yes, yes. late 90s, early 2000s. You would hear their music on you know American Pie soundtracks. I'm sure you've heard the song Inside Out on rock radio. for That was like their one big hit. That was my one concert in a place in Long Island called the um, the Vanderbilt, and now it's a planetarium. My first concert was the Bee Gees in Earth, Wind, and Fire at Dodger Stadium. Oh, I mean, that's brilliant. I love it. I love both of those bands. I saw Kiss, the Dynasty Tour. Let's see. Aerosmith, Done With Mirrors. Basically, when I got... What I got off Guns N' Roses, these guys are capturing the Aerosmith junkie, draw the line, night in the ruts, that thing. You know, like, they captured it. Like, I was such a fan of the Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. But it was such, like, a fan of, like, that, that thing, that, like, um... That vibe, like pissed off punk rock, they didn't really care. They didn't care. You know, I think like, that's the that's the biggest thing is when you like when you don't care. Like James Addiction, they didn't really care. They did it. They lived it and they did it. 
Oh, for sure. And they were doing it for the music. Now, like, I remember, like, 1990, there was a band signed to MCA, MCA, called Smashing Orange. Okay. Like, the Smashing Pumpkins. Like, really? Really? (laughs) You're you're clearly copying. Yeah. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to get out there? Parting shot, my bar mitzvah. So, anyways. (laughs) 13, 12 12 and a half. So I learned the bar mitzvah portion. Great. I aced it. Okay. And two weeks before the bar mitzvah, the rabbi called me in. And he said, we have bad news for you. We caught you the wrong bar mitzvah portion. They taught me the wrong bar mitzvah oh, they taught portion. Oh, they taught you the wrong one? Oh, that's nice. And you spent all that time yeah, memorizing it? A, it was a leap year. <laughs> I mean, like anybody other than who's on the dais knows the difference. Well, you know, like we're talking about a lot of like people that read Hebrew. That's true. Good job, Jew. <laughs> Sorry. I have, uh, I have buttons. <laughs> I know, but it's so funny because my original portion was some obscure part of the Bible saying, let the prostitutes back into Jerusalem. Nice. And, of course, they were, I mean, it was written a long time ago. They were talking yeah. about the last track on Chinese democracy, prostitute, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you how do you feel about the Chinese democracy? <laughs> hey Jesus, how do you feel about this? <laughs> or Moses, I guess I should say. Uh, I wasn't there. You're always welcome back, Desi. Always. Thank you so much. Talk to you later, buddy. And there he goes, Desi Benjamin. Be sure to uh, get his documentary on the interwebs. Awesome, interesting stuff right there. I love doing this podcast, Appetite for Distortion. Uh, earlier in the episode, thank you again to Art Chavana. Would not have met Art if it wasn't for this podcast. He found us through SoundCloud. Same thing with Desi Benjamin. Uh, he, I think he found us after he saw we interviewed uh, Raz Q, who we, we were introduced to through John Miller who we were introduced to through Jason Schultz, our second interview ever in episode two. So it's just been the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or six degrees of Guns N' Roses here for Appetite for Distortion. So uh, any stories as we put out there before um, that you want to get out there, let us know. It's not always going to be industry people. It could be you. We got a lot of great reactions from the last episode, stories I want to hear from you. So please uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter, both at the AFD Show iTunes, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, of course. So in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy regarding the next episode of Appetite for Distortion, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Security, I'm going home.